So, uh, so Pat. Yeah. What do you, what do you have? How does it feel to be published? Oh my gosh. That was crazy. I, you know, me in the summertime, like I've been checking email, like maybe once a week and right, I just right, right. happened to check it this morning. And that was the first thing I saw. I was like, wait, what? I actually totally forgot that we'd reached out or that you got in touch with. Was it Larry Ferzano? It's Larry Ferlazzo. And he, uh, Larry Ferlazzo, we EL, love EL teacher. Ferlazzo. And he writes for Ed Week. Ed Week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The, the piece yeah. though is AI is helping us with our instructional practice. Here's how. It's an opinion piece that Larry Ferlazzo, see, I can see it. Now I'm looking at it. I can see it. Yeah. Ferlazzo, you see um, it right. He, um, he, he basically kind of surveyed or kind of, you know, I, I love that he kind of looked from what I can gather, like at, at education from across the country and just try to get a sense for where people are at. Um, yeah. So it was, it was just cool to, to be able to be a part of that. Um, love to do that again. You know, you know, it's, you yeah. know, it's super cool, Pat is like, he, he's all about like, how can we use AI in the classroom and upcoming on this show, we're going to interview, uh, Thomas Thompson, right. From EduAid. Yes. And I think they are, their mission is the same thing as how do we make teachers teaching easier? Yeah, it'll be great. Welcome to the show. It's the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. And I'm Pat Burns. Uh, today we have Thomas Thompson on our show. He is a founder of uh, EduAid.ai. Um, he's also a middle school social studies teacher. Um, sounds like you've been, I think, teaching for maybe five years. Um, can you can maybe, maybe fill us in on your, your background, uh, Thomas? Yeah, of course. Again, thanks for thanks for having me on. It's nice to be here. I like to sit down and chat. But uh, as you said, my name is Thomas Thompson. I'm a co-founder and CEO of EduAid AI, and I'm also a middle school social studies teacher in a uh, Anne Arundel Public Schools in Maryland. I live in Annapolis. Wasn't always from Annapolis. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, went to oh, a wow. state school there, uh, got my degree in secondary education social studies, moved to the Eastern Shore, Maryland, and met my other co-founder, uh, Thomas, as well. <laughs> Same name. Um, right, grew right. up 15 minutes from each other. Never once ran into each other, wow. heard of each other in Pennsylvania. Then we met teaching right across the hall, kind of hit it off from there. And through a lot of these conversations he and I would have in our room about you know the challenges we face as educators and some of the issues we see and ways we can go about solving it in our role as teachers. And um, out of that came this uh, platform we've developed, EduAid AI. Yeah, so it, it sounds to me like, well, well one, like the, the, the odd like kind of uh, synchronous events that happen in life, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's yes. someone, like you meet like the person from your hometown, right? Like there's always those stories of, uh, you go across the world and meet someone from your hometown and, and get, it becomes like your, your person you marry. Right. <laughs> like, like those are weird things, but you know, for you, you, you the person across the hall is this teacher. That's, you know, that's practically mm -hmm. next door to you your whole life. Didn't even know it. Um, so it's that bit. And then um, uh, Pat and I are really interested in how, how AI can be used to make teaching more efficient, better, yeah. Easier, like reduce the workload, but up the the benefits. And mm -hmm. it sounds like EduAid was kind of also kind of spawned from that type of thinking. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. So my uh, background is in educational technology. I just finished up my graduate school work at Johns Hopkins in that area. My uh, research focus was in open educational resources, and the idea was how we can go about expanding access to high quality instructional materials, regardless of arbitrary restrictions like geographic location or access mm -hmm. barriers due to budgetary or connect connectivity restraints. And mm -hmm. my initial thesis was that uh, you could look at some sort of development of a open educational resource sharing platform where teachers can collaborate, revise, remix, reuse materials um, based on their experiences, you know, personalized instruction to a greater degree. The issue that I ran into in, I guess, implementing that vision was that it requires a lot of upfront investment from educators to get those network effects where you would actually right. go to this site, find a resource and use it. AI seemed to bridge that gap in that the technology can be used really well on the broad-based things. You can synthesize a lot of information and distill it down to great summaries. You can distill it down to a number of instructional um, learning objects that you might use in the classroom. But it's not intuitive enough to meet the needs of the diverse learners in the room 
when you're teaching 32 students at once or whatever it right, might be. Right. So we found, okay, we can use the power of AI on the back end, lesson planning, where teachers need more time. Right. And since we can't expand the amount of planning time available, we wanted to develop this platform to, again, shrink the amount of effort needed to create high-quality instructional materials. Yeah, so a um, couple, couple things in there. One, one, you totally sound like a founder because you're talking about network effect, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, 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 I suspect I that you've been you've been reading like the the Peter Thiel stuff, right? And not uh, not too much um, Peter Thiel. Yeah. Um, I've, I I read a lot of um, oh gosh, this is going to sound awful. I guess I read a lot of Adam Smith, and um, of right. course uh, Marshall McLuhan is a is is a, is a great um. I guess mentor what, to me. What was his famous line about? Uh, the media about is the message, right? The idea yeah, that the media the we message, consume yeah. again shapes, but then that gets problematized. Um, looking at some of like the media effects debates from the '90s, and I can talk about instructional design, or I can talk about, um, I guess the, the the business side of it as well. Whatever, wherever we want to go. <laughs> yeah, no, we we go all over the place because I, I think I think it's what for I, I, I we're just interested in ideas mm -hmm. and yes and and also the AI stuff. So I, I was just kind of thinking I was like, oh yeah, is it? I, yeah. Um, all right. So you had said that you were kind of interested in like kind of leveling things and making things open. So are you are you doing like Creative Commons licensing? Or are you open source? Mm -hmm. So that was again what interested me when uh, Thomas um, brought up this idea of using AI as a means of kind of again, leveling the playing field as we were talking about. And the thing that initially struck me was the idea of ownership, right? Who is in control, who has ownership of these resources, right? Who right, right. has, um, who's liable for how these resources are used, right? If a teacher say uses a large language model and they don't properly vet the accuracy of the statements therein, and Maybe they teach something that is actually off standard and it doesn't align. Who then would be liable for that? Is it the teacher? Is it the data that the AI model was trained on? Is it the mm -hmm. company that offers the model, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then let's say maybm the teacher shares that um, resource they created. Now, let's say it's an mm -hmm. accurate one, moving beyond that first example. Who then has ownership over that and that resource there? Is it the teacher who has ownership? Is it the, again, the company that, is um, mm -hmm. building the platform for the model right. to be used. So there were a lot of questions around ownership. And it seems to me currently, and it's going to take many lawyers and many years to kind of hash mm -hmm. out the, the because there's a whole status, a whole new crop of companies that are going to need the legal treatment. But yeah. the Creative Commons licensing seems to be the most viable option where these questions of ownership, yeah, they're very muddy, but if you put them out there such that you attribute the work to the necessary individuals. Um, if you share it in a way that is open and there's not a lot of commercial gain from the individual resource itself, that might go a long way to clearing up a lot of those issues. So yes, are our resources in the community page, which is in development and soon to be released, will enable teachers to share these resources in a way very similar to the Creative Commons licensing, where you can take the resource, reuse, revise, and remix it to fit your unique needs. Yes. Okay. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and this this is really by ignorance talking, so if you guys need to educate me on this, please do. Um, does that mean that that would, that if you go in that direction, that your website would provide almost like a teacher's pay, teacher's sort of kind of formatting where, you know, somebody could put something up there and then they could charge somebody else and get some sort of money off that? Is that what you're saying? Or is it something a little bit different? So um, this may be a uh, controversial opinion of mine that I hold, but I feel as though teachers pay teachers is not a benefit as much as it is a symptom of a larger problem. Hmm. So we are trying to kind of, I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to use these, uh, these yeah, I'm not trying to put words. I, I, um, yeah, I I'm not to trying to sound like a founder here. I'm just trying to say, no, you can't want to say this. I don't want to say disrupt the uh, teachers pay teachers oh, yeah, model. That's a, that's I, a total I, founder I, word. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I want to avoid that. I'm trying really hard here. But um, the idea is that a teacher turns to a site like Teachers Pay Teachers, inspired by the feeling that they do not have access to adequate resources provided by their county, that they're willing to pay for it. 
to supplement right. their own instructional materials. So that really tells mm -hmm. me two things. One, many teachers don't have adequate access to resources. Mm -hmm. Second, sure. many teachers don't feel confident to develop adequate resources on their own in mm -hmm. the face of mm -hmm. scarcity. So how mm -hmm. do we answer those two problems in a way that is far more cost effective for the individual teacher? Right. Well, okay. as I was stating earlier with my open educational resource problem is that you need a lot of buy-in from teachers to get those resources on teachers pay teachers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get enough competition to drive down the cost of each individual resource such that it's economically viable for you to keep buying resources. AI can dramatically reduce the cost right. of any given mm -hmm. resource because a resource could be generated within a few keystrokes, a few clicks. And then from there, you can do a lot to fine tune and personalize that. We could talk about that in a little bit. But the idea is that AI will dramatically cut the cost such that teachers can probably access their own resources um, made with AI without incurring a 99 cent paywall or a $5 paywall mm -hmm. to access those materials. Well, again, then you're, yeah, you're, you're bringing up an interesting point about how AI allows for greater equity if mm -hmm. it's harnessed properly, right? Um, so, so to your point that those communities where our school districts where the funding isn't there, yeah, and there's plenty of them, right? That there's the, the 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 land, I guess the landscape's just so imbalanced mm -hmm. uh, in every state. You know, you've got some communities that just have way too much money. Yeah, uh, of course they would never say that. They'd always say they have never have enough. But comparative, right? Of course, mm -hmm. to, to uh, you know less uh, to, to uh, other districts just don't have as much. And, and, and I think Mike and I are very familiar with that. I mean, I, I've taught overseas in a mm -hmm. developing country and. I mean, teachers got paid next to nothing. We had no heat in the building, you know, well, and it was, it was, the weather was about as cold as Chicago in, in the wintertime. It was terrible, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah, there's just so many, so many inequities. Um, I, you were going to say something though. So, well, two things on that is that there's this, uh, their author, his name's Martin Gurry, and, uh, he wrote this great book called Revolt of the Public. And in it, mm -hmm. he talks about how when sources of information are scarce, they are authoritative. And with authoritativeness comes a lot of value. And you can you know, charge a fair premium for being the only source of news or the only source of educational resources or materials. But what AI does is it expands access to sources of information such that most of it loses a lot of authority. So that puts a lot of onus on the user for following up and doing their due diligence to make sure their information is accurate, which is a skill I think mm -hmm. we all try to teach our students today. But also, to your point about um, use overseas and in international schools, we're seeing in our feedback that that's where a lot of our user base is coming from. Those teachers who mm -hmm. are in those circumstances where they need flexible resources at a very low cost that can mm -hmm. be shaped to fit their very unique circumstances. Well, so to that point, tell me if this makes sense. I don't know. I don't know if I'm misunderstanding. It sounds to me, in some capacity, that to you, it seems like this is a moral imperative. Then, mm -hmm. uh, in other words, that, it, that it's essential that yeah, that, that that we have to find ways to to bring costs down for education so people can better themselves. Uh, it, but you, it seems like you found a way to kind of marry that philosophy or that that moral imperative with the AI, which is pretty astounding, actually. I mean, education is a public good and a foundational human right. And the fact that there are educators out there, people engaged in doing that work, have to go out of their way and use their own resources to deliver high quality mm -hmm. instruction. I mean, it, it seems to me counter to what our education system stands for and counter to the, to the true aims of, of doing education, which is broadening the access of an individual to resources such that with knowledge, skills, and dispositions, they can use those resources to better themselves, better their community. I mean, it's education is a foundational issue in terms of the infrastructure of a society. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. we can harness technologies in a principled and transparent way such that we can improve the quality of education broadly. I mean, that's the, that's the, the moonshot goal. Now, that sure. comes through like marginal gains over time that add up because it's a huge institution. It's a huge system. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. um, uh, red tape and um, kind of running around some bureaucratic circles to get things sure. done, which okay. it's a requirement when you're running an institution of the size of many public schools. Yeah. You know, um, you gave, you said two points for, for, for yours. I think, and, and I think that for teacher, teachers pay teachers, I, I think there's a third point, which is time. 
mm-hmm. teachers go to it yes, over time. So exactly. I think edu aid fits squarely in that as well. Um, as far as access, um, <clears throat> for me, when um, OpenAI dropped chat GPT on the mass public, like people were, mm-hmm. you know, using, you know, version two and you, you probably, since you mm-hmm. were ed tech, you know, you may have already been playing with it prior to November, but it was, you know, it's free, right? And and Dolly was free and yeah. Midjourney was free and now they're not, right? Like you can mm-hmm. still do chat GPT kind of for free or you can get into it through Bing, um, you know, um, so there's, there's systems coming out, but I wonder how quickly um, people that can afford to have access to all those programs, yeah, right. The 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 ten bucks or twenty bucks a month, whatever it is, or fifteen dollars a month, adds up quickly. If you want to mm-hmm. do Mid Journey and Dolly and Chat GPT four and this and that, right? Mm-hmm. And so pretty pretty soon you're up to forty five, sixty bucks, and that that in itself becomes a barrier. Um, and so I was kind of thinking about you know that opening up access and you know. Uh, and, and the quote you'd mentioned about, you know, if there's, if there's less, if there's less, I guess, less information or whoever, mm-hmm. you know, it, it creates like kind of a, a power, power yeah. situation. Right. So, you know, the, the old one is the Gutenberg press, right. Mm-hmm. Where suddenly people could get books. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then there was radio and then there was, you know, television and there's internet and now there's, there's AI. Right. Um, so kind of like this idea of opening it up and, and, and who, and who gets access is is kind of a, a new old problem yes certainly right? um and I, I think the company does fit in there and, I, and then i thought you well what was the way that um originally we people tried to open up information that was the gutenberg press and then it was the library mm-hmm. right and those are publicly funded right and, and you go get, get books and, and i was like for a company like yours i wonder my you know would there be a way for libraries slash Department of Education to buy a license and then boom, everyone gets mm-hmm. access to right, yeah. to that product, mm-hmm. right? So just through your tax dollars. I think it'd be an interesting thing that we don't do. Like there's been talk about getting access for everyone for the internet. Yeah. Right. But but now we're now we're into AI land, right? Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> no one's talking about that. But I don't know if it'd be a, it'd be a lobbying group or 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 what. Right, but it would be an interesting thing if the if this the the state the the Fed just 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 said Here, here's money, everyone gets access, you know. Well, I mean that's certainly how we tend to, in in that vein, tend to view ourselves as a company, right? We don't really like to look at it as okay, we're a, we're a subscription model. It's like, well, okay, that opens up a number of um, concerns regarding. Well, of course, given the system that we're operating in, we need to be financially um, a financially viable option to execute this mission. But at the same time, we kind of view ourselves as as infrastructure, right? We're laying down a platform as a, a user interface that enables teachers to best interact with this AI so that they can, again, shape it for their purposes. And while infrastructure is important, I mean, crucial even, at base, I look at it as a tool used by people. So as such, before looking on how we can improve our platform or improve the infrastructure, to use the example, one should look at how people currently interact with the present systems. And then you develop a tool for the people in their use and not just develop a tool as an end in itself, which I think is a problem with a lot of tech adoption in schools. It's very kind of, I see a lot of faddish adoption, right? Well, we got sure. this because... It's the new big yeah. thing, and we're putting one up in every sure. room, and yep. there's not Shiny. a lot of professional development on how to use it, but you'll figure right. it out. Yep. Your tech savvy, right? right? <laughs> like that's what I was told my second year of teaching on an instructional yep. um, technology. It's like, well, you know, you're a, you're a millennial, you can figure it out. And I'm like, well, I could use a little more assistance, you know, like <laughs> right. that. Um, there's that well, mix of teachers' comfortability using the tool, and we really right. want to. Well, take I- on that on that point, then Thomas, I mean, with your site, would you be able to kind of show us a few things yeah. in yeah. terms of? I mean, you can't go through the whole thing, but mm-hmm. for our viewers or, or listeners out there, because um, uh, we'll have this up on YouTube, but um, so just check out our channel there. But you can take a look and see. Um, Thomas has got it up on the screen. The uh, I guess the, the it's not the what did you call this the landing page or, or technically um, not so landing page? I can um, 
go over. So this is the actual landing page when you first there we go. Okay. the site, right? And this is just like your typical landing page, lays out all of our various yep. features and what we offer. Mm -hmm. And I won't spend too much time here because I'll show you the features. That's fine. But um, right. in the top corner, they'll say a little button like try for free. That might be misleading. It is totally free. We have no paid package yet. So if you sign up, you have 100% okay. free access. Um, and we're going to keep a large part of that always free. Well, and so so to that point then, Thomas, for, for many, any educators out there, they're looking for something that's not going to cost them more money because we're already spending on, on yeah. know, various school uh, school supplies, classroom supplies, wherever the case may be, or other subscription-based things. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an option there that is free for you, so it's something to kind of take into account. Uh, so what do, you, what do you have for us? So when you launch the uh, application, it takes you first to um, our workspace. And our workspace is built on a variety of tools and there's more to come, but currently we have our teaching assistant. This is the broad-based area where we felt teacher, regardless of subject or grade level, um, will engage in these activities, developing lesson plans, unit plans, mm -hmm. making announcements for the class across learning management systems, perhaps planning for mm -hmm. substitutes, developing syllabi, um, engaging in some form of direct instruction, perhaps because again, this might not be incredibly a popular thing to say, but direct instruction is certainly necessary. Um, mm -hmm, you have to right. build prior knowledge before you can engage students in any kind of creative work. Yeah, can, so, I, can I interject real yes. quickly on that? I, pre I really appreciate you saying that because I think that too often, I don't know why we do this. I think this is a species problem, which is that when we, when we explain things or, or rather when new things come up uh, in, in the case of AI, Mm -hmm. people are saying things like, oh, robots are going to replace us. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? The AR is born out of us. It is a part of us, but we're, we're just trying to figure out how to use it. Mm -hmm. And what the frustration I get is people kind of come up with these extreme, like very binary sort of kind of like, you know, I guess responses is like, oh, well now we can't have teachers anymore. It's like, no, teachers are still essential in the classroom and essential to the learning process. But how do you get, let the AI kind of help the teacher kind of just be a more effective uh, for reaching up or, or more students, essentially. So uh, I, I just want to, I think rhetorically, it's just like a gripe yeah. that I have these days where people think of things as all or nothing or just in these very black and white terms. It's like yes. it's anything but black and white. And, and I really hope that we can kind of develop as a field, um, you know, as educators or thinkers and, and humans ourselves, this ability to kind of speak in more nuanced terms because we have to have nuanced conversations about this rather than say, like at a... Um, I have a neighbor actually teaches in a neighboring district. And he said that the English department there is just going, every, all their writing is going to go to paper and pencil, no internet. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And, and mind you, this is a, this you is, will this use is a, this chisel on yeah. a piece of concrete. Right. This, <laughs> like, this, right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Where's my stone palette? Right. Your fingers will hammer. bleed. And we're going to do it in so, cursive too. <laughs> it was so retrograde and Luddite. I was just like, I was like, come on guys. Like we can do two things at once. We don't have, it doesn't have to be either or. So I, that's just my little mini rant. I just had to no, say that because it's just, I, I know those reactions are out there. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, no, let's just let's, let's settle down. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, brothers. that's one brothers thing I, rants are welcome. <laughs> that, that's one thing I was happy to notice in the AI space is that a lot of the um, discussion tends to take on a little bit more of a nuanced view over time. Of course, there's the initial gut reactions, right? We, yeah. We've all watched yeah. the Terminator in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and everyone makes right. those right. comparisons. But once you begin to talk, we see a lot of people, you know, actually advocating for caution and, and developing these mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a principled way um, mm -hmm. with an idea towards there are negative outcomes in using this technology, right? Every tool has its positive and negative affordances. It really depends on how we use it and how we design the interfaces for use, right? And that's mm -hmm. something we've really been conscious about in our uh, platform is developing a very modular system. And to that end, um, let's start kind with- of, a, can I, can I real yes. quick, like for people listening, which is most of our people listen to podcast, it essentially when you open up EduAid, you get like a left, like, like kind of navigation bar that has assistant content generator, EduAid chat, feedback bot, community, and then save content. So it almost looks like a chat GPT on the side. And then you get a middle panel that has um, I get the modules, right? There's, there's a lesson seed, unit plan, class announcement, email home, substitute planner, direct instruction script, syllabus starter, evidence statement. And below that, there's a place for keywords. And then the third panel, it's like a three panels, is like what appears to be kind of similar to a Google Doc, like a, a word processor page. 
Okay. So that's, that's what it looks like. And then uh, Thomas, go ahead and maybe give it, give us a ride. Yeah. So um, we'll look at a lesson seed first. And then from there, I can kind of show you how you can stack things and build things atop generations. So I'm a social studies teacher. Let's say um, I'm teaching about the writing of the Federalist Papers. I don't know why I um, come back to this example when I run demos of any kind, but it's, um, it's a topic I like discussing. So uh, lesson plan, of course, the writing of the Federalist Papers. I have it geared towards 11th and 12th grade. We offer a number of different grade levels, of course, um, you know, K through 12. Um, we go down to pre-K as well, and we're currently building out our uh, primary school offerings with a real focus on literacy, numeracy, agency, and various uh, kind of the small tasks to build towards that. But when you generate a lesson seed, it we chose seed for very um, important reasons. We don't want people to feel as though this is a finished lesson plan, copy, paste, you're done. What it does is it gives you a range of possibilities that you can then use to develop a lesson of your own, right? We don't right. want the AI to do all the work. We don't want to automate teaching. We want to create a system in which the two complement and benefit each other, right? I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. I want to give teachers mm -hmm. Lieutenant Commander mm -hmm. data. Like, that's what I really want to do, right? right. A, a great team player. Of course, this doesn't have sentience or consciousness, so don't feel worried in that regard. Objectives. So scaled to Bloom's taxonomy. Um, that's the kind of way we build up our... Um, taxonomic scaling. Um, we have a variety of different tools around it, although that can be um, editable if you go to the Eduade chat, which is kind of a, if you look at the left toolbar, we have a number of options, the teaching assistant, content generator, Eduade chat, feedback mm -hmm. bot. Um, Eduade chat is very much basically just a chat GPT kind of interface where you can directly sure. talk to the AI. We built this in so you can ask it questions about resources that are generated like you provide me a source for this following claim mm -hmm. that you make in mm -hmm. said x worksheet or whatever it might be uh, but it also allows you to create tables and graphs and a number of other interesting things anyway so you can change bloom's taxonomy to say marzano's or whatever other taxonomy you may use in your school in the eduate chat that's far more personalization it also gives you a range of teaching strategies. So for teaching the Federalist Papers, it says I can engage students in a few different things. I can do a Socratic seminar with a discussion-based format where students can analyze and evaluate the arguments presented mm -hmm. in the Federalist Papers. And then when you go to the content generator, we have a bunch of tools to help you with that, right? We can look at developing a script for introducing a um, debate. We can do a number of discussion, open-ended questions, and you can build a Socratic seminar um, lesson around the Federalist Papers, if you so choose, or whatever lesson you are, mm -hmm. topic you're teaching about. Great. It says we can look at a jigsaw activity, right? Breaking into small groups and following that protocol, and then um, looking at maybe a simulation of a sort, um, a role-playing activity. I'm huge on um, educational gaming and simulations and the way that we can integra integrate um, play into the classroom in a way that is transformative, not on the surface level of it's fun and engaging, but the actual act of play in itself is teaching the lesson, right? Um, yeah. A number of cue sets for introducing the start of the activity, a range of activities that you can um, use in the classroom, close reading, mm -hmm. collaborative discussion, assignment ideas, world world, uh, real world um, <laughs> skill development, right? So um, engaging in research and analysis or persuasive writing, ways to integrate some actual um, applications beyond the classroom, and then a range of closure questions. Right. So again, it's not a cohesive lesson plan, and we didn't design it to be that. We designed it with an eye towards building that co-pilot model where a teacher can get ideas. But let's say I'm inspired by one of the ideas. Let's okay. say um, I'm really interested in doing a primary source analysis um, maybe building a jigsaw activity around it using a range of documents. So for that, I will um, save this document as Federalist Papers Lesson Seed. <clears throat> and I will save it to my uh, content drive. So all your work is savable. You can go back, edit it, add to it. So if I jump over to my content generator, it takes the lesson plan with me. So that imports over to the other tab, to the other page. And um, let's say, okay, I'm going to hone in on analysis as my objective, right? So I want to compare and contrast the Federalist Papers with opposing viewpoints. And I'm going to do a jigsaw activity. So I will take out my other options. Great. I have my focus in place. 
So let me change my subject. We offer science, social studies, math, language arts, enrichment, a variety mm-hmm. here. Feel free to jump in at any time or interrupt me if I'm going too long. Reading comprehension primary sources here. Let me go Federalist Papers, um, the writing of the Federalist Papers in debate. So, so while you're dr- generating that, <clears throat> you've clicked on this reading comprehension primary sources like tab, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you're just typing in, in the, in this topic or keyword box, the writing of the Federalist Papers and debate regarding, and the idea that it's going to kick out essentially what, just th- like, yeah. how do you go about doing that? Or so I, um, chose my objective as comparing and contrasting the Federalist yeah. Papers with opposing viewpoints. So my topic mm-hmm. idea then is that I want to, um, have the students engage with a primary source that mm-hmm. will be nested in context to show mm-hmm. how this um, specific text or um, diary, newspaper, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, kind of provides an, an illustration or an overview of what that broader debate was about. Now, you can do this with any number of content areas, right? You can import um, directly a standard that you're trying to address, mm-hmm. and you can build assignments that will address that standard. So it says topic or keyword. We're going to add a topic, keyword, or standard there. So yeah, you can take a standard that you have, paste it into the um, text uh, box, mm-hmm. and you can generate aligned materials to mm-hmm. uh, address that standard. So let's see what this reading comprehension primary source uh, resource will um, bring to us. Oops, zoomed in. All right, add to workspace. Okay, so it's just generating essentially... It's generating a text currently. A, um, yeah. So it's giving us some, some context with some subject headings. So uh, title, the Federalist Papers, Unveiling the Debate that Shaped the mm-hmm. Nation. Um, not a bad title. Introduction, okay. right? It's going to provide a um, just a little bit about what the Federalist Papers were, right? So some context. Yeah. yeah, the context, exactly. Nesting this in context. Um, context is crucially important. We want to activate prior knowledge before we engage in deeper instruction. Okay, so then it says the writing of the Federalist Papers. That's the second paragraph that kind of... Mm-hmm. takes that context and begins to uh, link it to what we're about to read. And it just tells us who, who was engaged in the writing, um, what exactly um, the the thesis of these writings were, and then the use of the pseudonyms um, in various newspapers showing that maybe um, they didn't want their names attached to it because it was a hot-button political issue of the time. And then, mm-hmm. okay, we get now to the, the heart of this reading um, article. The publication of the Federalist Papers sparked spirited debate across the newly formed United States, and then it lays out the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist, and then it says that one primary source quote from the Federalist Papers encapsulates the essence of this debate from Federalist Number 48, James Madison. An elective despotism was not the government we fought for, but one in which the powers of government should be divided and balanced among several bodies of magistracy as that no one could transcend their legal limits without being effectually checked and restrained by the others. Now, I have two copies of the Federalist Papers in my room right now. We could run a live fact check if you like. Right. To show you that that is there. Um, you're, you're, you're like you're preempting the questions. Yeah, I, have. I was like, totally going to attack your head. So, <laughs> so um, what so, you could do is um, you could say take that primary source. Maybe you're worried about it, and right. you could pop over to Eduade Chat, and mm-hmm. I could say um, insert this primary source. And I said, um, for example, maybe. Oops. I give it the quote. Could you provide a site where mm-hmm. I could like verify oh, essentially? Yeah, the, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so it actually kind of, if you have those questions of doubt about is the information is kicking out accurate, go back to the educate chat area and ask it to give you an actual citation. Mm-hmm. And now, now having said that, I, and, and I don't know, uh, if Mike has had this experience, I know that I have where I've had students give me cite- citations and then they're inaccurate. Now, having said that, um, it is also sometimes giving me accurate ones, too. So you still have to double check and make sure it's accurate and go to it. In this case, it looks like it's popped up a uh, Yale Law School uh, uh, web address or URL. So I imagine if you click on it, it'll probably open it up to uh, and you can so then verify. Now is that the correct? Avalon project. Taking right to the Federalist so you, Paper number 48. Right, I'm reading right. this in the Yale Law School's law library. And now right. I have the actual text in front of me from the um, 
from this wonderful the, uh, claim that it made. Well, and then and there's your primary source. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and then all the questions and all the context and debate stuff around surrounding it, you just got in about a, a minute or two. Yeah. Um, and then you can yeah. further okay. personalize that by, say, um, mm -hmm. you know, adding multiple oh, choice my. questions to it or building yep. a taxonomy of questions around it or building mm -hmm. in some essential questions. So let me uh, take that quote again it, and you, I can you, highlight it. I can paste that into the topic bar right, and I can yeah. say multiple choice questions and it'll generate five multiple choice questions tied directly to the text that you are asking it to generate atop. So you can build in targeted questioning around yep. a specific set of text or any um, problem or even existing resource that you have. Maybe you want to work with what you already mm -hmm. have in your classroom. Well, now you can take that, you could paste it in here and you can develop a number of uh, reflection questions. Now, these multiple choice are fairly surface level. I mean, they're mm -hmm. um, based around just kind of comprehension, knowledge level. Knowledge but base, that's yeah. why we have areas like the discussion problems mm -hmm. uh, or, or reflection, well, and reflection questions. questions. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me kind of reiterate really quickly. I think if you don't see this, I think, I think it's tough to follow. So you clicked on lesson seed mm -hmm. and it gave you like a, a lesson that you said is like not one that you'd use out of the box. And then what, what it was it was almost like a menu. Here's a bunch of stuff you could do for that content yeah. you want to do. And then through a process of you just deleting or erasing all the stuff you didn't want, mm -hmm. you got two things that you did want. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, okay, now that I've got a couple of things, now if I want to do a jigsaw, I have to have some content. So you went over to the content and it produced content and then dropped it in the same working document, your workspace, I think you call it, right? Yeah. And so like really the, the eduate process is that it generates something and you delete what you don't want and then you go back to the modules and you click and you reprompt it again. Yeah. Right. So essentially, I, I think for, for me, like I'm looking at this being like, yeah, you could do all this through chat GPT, you know, four uh, or three, whatever is three and a half, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, but what, what you guys are doing is like you were you just lowered the bar to having to learn how to do all the prompting and all that stuff and exactly. just made it really easy to use. We just we really took um, existing large language models and uh, focused them with an educational intent. Yeah. Right? So really just fine tune the offerings to, to fit the needs. Well, and, and on that point, but it's, it's also, you know, the, the one thing, and Mike and I've talked about this before, uh, just privately, we're like, I mean, I use chat GPT regularly, but the interface is a little clunky and, and not particularly attractive to look at. It's a, it's a good looking site that you have here. Edge 8 looks sharp. It looks we, really well put together. Um, it, it seems very intentional. Um, yes. and, and whereas chat GPT, it just sounds like, seems like they threw something up and you're like, yeah. I, I swear to you, it feels like a computer program def programmer made that with like that kind of mentality. Whereas you're, you seem to be very focused on. I mean, it makes sense that you that, that you and your other co-founder, the other Thomas, are mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Hummel, are um, teachers, right? Because it seems like you're understanding that for a mass group of people, they're going to need to be be able to have a different interface where visually it's interesting and intuitive. Um, I, I think you're going to add something there or jump in. Yeah, I mean, so this was uh, this was very. Of course, it was intentional. We designed it, but the sure. the workspace came from a desire for um, just really a, a minimalistic aesthetic, right? I was um, reading a lot about um, our author Kenyahara, who was talking about um, his book is called Designing Japan, and it's about the minimalist approach applied to infrastructural development, applied to mm -hmm. things beyond the mm -hmm. realm of art and design. And we approached a system, it's like, well, let's cut out all of the extra anything, right? Let's just make mm -hmm. this um, really simple site and in simplicity, if it's done at a high level, you can have a, a, some sort of elegance that comes from that. And that's really what we wanted to achieve. Now, that's a work in progress. We're not at it completely. Um, there's some things I'm excited about that we have in development. But I mean, if you look at my saved content on uh, my Eduate account, I mean, I developed a lesson on architecture design and the natural environment. So I very much like to spend my time saying, okay, well, what is it about this, what is it that we encourage teachers to do with this specific workflow? Or, you know, are we hiding mm -hmm. the specific button? Can they get what they mm -hmm. want in under three clicks right. or are they going to have to explore? Mm -hmm. yeah. So like, yeah. for example, 
a lot of teachers might take a piece of text, copy it and paste it out. But if you left click, um, right click on our site, yeah, we give you copy and paste, but then we build in some cool little AI tools on top of this, oh, cool. um, mostly hmm. for differentiation purposes, because I am a co-teacher. I teach in a classroom with okay. a lot of students who have IEP accommodations that I have to meet or um, English language learners who have various language goals that I'm trying to meet. Yeah. And I was finding that I'm, I'm jumbling five or six different tabs because I'm jumping over to Google Translate mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. get a quick translation. And then I'm hopping over to scale the Lexile level up and down to meet the needs of my readers. Mm -hmm. Well, right. now I can scale the difficulty up or down right here yeah. in Eduate mm -hmm. by highlighting the text and increasing or decreasing the difficulty. Cool. I can translate it right in the workspace. I can add multiple choice or open-ended questions on a highlighted piece of text. I can extract a glossary awesome. of keywords. So let's say I wow. take this um, section here I highlighted a big chunk of text and I say extract keywords. Well, now I have a number of high impact words from the text with its right. term and definition. I can plug that at the bottom of a um, article I'm giving to the students. And now I've worked in some vocabulary with the assignment. Mm -hmm. I'm yep. providing some scaffolds towards learning. I can chunk the text to break it into smaller paragraphs, generate headings that are better than the ones that we built in atop the text. Although wow. I think our initial headings are pretty decent. Super cool. Um, so it's really just taking AI and breaking wow. it down into its smallest constituent parts so that teachers have the freedom and agency to stack them to meet their needs in a way that only a teacher collaborating with an AI can do. Yeah, it's clean. It's efficient. Um, exactly. Hey, uh, uh, your co-founder, Thomas Hummel, is wanting to come in, looks like. I mean... You, you want me to let him in? I mean, sure, why not? I mean, not? I'm not sure. He must have heard me talking about him. I think He's we're like... Going Pat is talking smack about me. I got to come in and defend myself. I'm sure, that's what was going on. Yeah. So, so this is just a really it's it's just easy to use. It's it's yeah. easier than than trying to like slog through, which is weird to say mm -hmm. about Chat GPT, right? Um, but but sometimes there is some slogging. Like you you know you do a prompt and you reprompt and you reprompt again, and you know pretty soon your thread is is fairly huge, right? And um, you guys have figured out a way to to not make people do that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's while we viewed ChatGPT as really kind of, again, closing barriers to access to information, but there's still the, there's still the, uh, you're still intimidated by that blinking cursor when you're really not sure hmm. where right. to start. And we really try to, as much as we're prompting the, um, the language model, is to reinforce a certain workflow for teachers to encourage them to dive a little bit deeper into the resource because the act of generating a resource now can be done far more quickly, far more efficiently. So if we break everything down really small, we give you all the tools clearly laid out, clearly described, clearly listed for you to then take and use as yeah. you will. I mean, some of the feedback and videos we've been getting from teachers using this, uh, they're so inventive. I mean, they're using it in ways that we didn't even predict once we put it out there, right? The ways they go about stacking different resources together right. or the connections they see between resources. Whereas I might uh -huh. have generated a lesson seed and then hopped over to reading comprehension because, again, reading and writing for me in the uh, historical field seems like the crucial um, skills to build. Another teacher might say, well, you know what? I see a really um, great avenue to build an anchor chart around this and then maybe a social emotional learning activity around <laughs> yeah, the topic. And right, and they're stacking all of these various resources and redeveloping what it even means to, to deliver this content because they're, they're approaching it with different methodologies and different techniques that they haven't previously tried because, well, now it's in front of them. And the investment of getting it wrong is not so great. You don't waste an entire planning period now right. if you come up with a dead end. Whereas if you wasted a planning period before because you spent an hour trying to try on a new activity you weren't completely certain of, now you have to go home to make up all the time you lost because you still need a lesson tomorrow yeah. and your creative mm -hmm. impulse mm -hmm. didn't play out like you thought. Well, now that, that barrier to being creative and trying something new is lowered. And in fact, your knowledge of new concepts and techniques may be broadened because the AI is bringing you new things you didn't consider before. Yeah. Um, so there, there's, there's still a, a, a slight bar because you have to figure out yes. how to like, you know, uh, modular, but, but I still think the bar is lower than just learning how to prompt. Well, Oh, certainly. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think it's easier stuff. And then you, we've been talking to some designers and, um, 
recently we were talking to David Miller, who's an industrial designer, and we, we kind of discussed how sometimes the, the design can kind of make you use a tool in a certain way. Yes, exactly. Know? And so it's interesting that, you know, like, you know, this is, this is Thomas and Thomas's brain and like how you would, you would do stuff. And then other people start playing with it and they, and they, and they use it in a way that you didn't think that they would use it, you know? And so you get these kind of cool results. Um, but yeah, this is, this is great. And that's you really know, why just, we didn't want to restrict teachers movement because I see some other products out there that I've used that will kind of give you a fully fleshed out document in like PDF format for you to use in the classroom. And it's like, well, I want some flexibility and yeah. we wanted to overcome our own bias because I know that I approach the classroom in a very different way than my co-teachers approach the right. classroom, right? I might be a very dialogue-based, engage students in discussion, relate the material to their personal experience and kind of go from there, very kind of a looser feel where some teachers might have a completely different workflow. So by making everything small, we want to accommodate that. Well, yeah, it I mean, sounds like, like almost, then, almost every time you 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 do a lesson or, or you, someone gives you a lesson, you're always like, nah, I'm not going to quite do it that way. There's only <laughs> one other always. teacher that's ever been the case where I'll use his materials exactly as they are. That's my 11th grade social studies teacher taught me everything I know. He's my mentor. Yeah. He sent me a whole packet in the mail and I use those resources all the time. I mean, and, I, and a little bit of him is I, in this. I mean, it's his methodology, his philosophy of education that really kind of informs how I approach it myself. Yeah, I had a teacher that sent me all of their materials for whatever English class. And I was like my first or second year, like this big box, like in the mail. And I started looking at it and I was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> put them in a campfire. Gone. <laughs> well, I, and Thomas, just real quickly, because uh, Mike, Mike had brought up uh, David Miller in our previous episode. He used this term Maya, which is most advanced yet acceptable. And it sounds oh, to yeah. me that, uh, that your platform here essentially is is kind of aiming to make things basically about is um make the design as advanced as possible in other words tapping into the ai as much as possible but to do it in such a way that the most amount of people are going to be able to accept or embrace it um and on that point i mean i, I understand and if you're if you're willing to share this information when i was talking to uh both you and thomas the other day um, you guys were talking about how you're, you're getting a lot of traction here. Like what, what's, what's your user base at the moment? I mean, are you finding like in terms of number of, uh, teachers that are, they're actively using it and therefore then proving that, that you guys have kind of hit this Maya kind of concept pretty well with, with the site. Right. Far. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is applying Vygotsky's zone of proximal development to product yeah. design, right? How do we challenge them just enough to, um, go a step beyond what they're comfortable with, but in a way that feels um, normal to them, right? It feels like, oh, mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. this feels like it's me. I'm, I'm using this and I feel like I have control and power over it. And we're developing mm -hmm. a tutorial for first-time users that'll kind of like highlight where to go and what to click and kind of right. reinforce the workflow. But to your question, um, yeah, our user base is about 25,000 users currently. Um, mm -hmm. we're growing, um, pretty rapidly. Uh, we're seeing about 30% growth bi-weekly, which is wow. encouraging. The uptake has been, um, wonderful. Uh, we have been soliciting a lot of user feedback. So we're really trying to, um, address a lot of the needs that weren't originally there. For example, we just added, um, if you were to click this, um, gear shift in the top right corner, um, mm -hmm. you'll see that you can, we have 16 different yeah. languages. That's so now. amazing. So we offer, um, I, yeah this platform for people in a variety of um, circumstances and areas. So we saw a lot of real, users, real, for example. Sorry. Real quickly, Thomas, the, 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 um, when you click on the, the different languages, that, that intrigued me partly because obviously there are plenty of schools out there that, that you know, service maybe uh, communities where maybe there's a, a language or two. Our particular district, I remember a, a year or two ago trying to figure out how many different languages we have uh, that students speak in our building. It was like something like, it was like over 17. I was like, oh my God. And there were, it was like Mongolian. It was in there. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, um, we, we once had a girl who, who was, uh, trying to take a test and couldn't take it because she would had just gotten to the U S two weeks prior, didn't know any English. And she had to take the standardized test. I'm like, what is going on here? But you guys have this craziness where, I mean, could you pop up the list again, just to kind of give uh, so I can read off yeah. a couple of different languages. Cause I think I saw Vietnamese, Cantonese, Croatian, mm -hmm. uh, Indonesian, Hindi, Portuguese, uh, you know, Japanese, it, you have a wonderful uh, list. And obviously there are hundreds of languages out there. Yeah. I mean, but if these you were are to some look, big ones. Yeah. 
if you were to look two days ago, Croatian wasn't there. Um, we got feedback from a user who said, I really like your product, but I've been having to translate everything yeah. into Croatian. Can you add that? And within 24 mm -hmm. hours, we were in Croatian. I mean, wow. the, turnover yeah, time with this, yeah. this turnover time with this technology is, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. It's still is jaw dropping to me. So currently I'm jet for people who are watching, I'm generating a um, lesson plan around um, Dogen, a um, Zen master and the Soto Zen school in Japanese. Right. So we are, wow. Uh, and then I can say, take that text, right? Let's say I take a chunk of it and I can now translate it right in the workspace to say Spanish from Japanese. And now we have our lesson being uh, generated down here in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So right. a lot of flexibility. Yeah in terms of language. Super color. Well. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, Thomas Hummel, you jumped in the room or you, you have anything that uh, burning, burning questions or points uh, you want to make? Thanks for having us on. I just was coming in here for the wrap up and, you know, I just wanted to introduce myself and say hello. All right. Good um, to have you. So with, let, let's, let's do the wrap up. That was a great segue. You're like a plant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Thomas, and Thomas, um, it, I mean, the, 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 it sounds like your, 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 your exigence, your, your reason for this existing is to, is to try to help out teachers and, and, and students to, mm -hmm. to allow quality access, um, that teachers don't have for, for various reasons to have high quality materials. Um, so you built this whole product that simplifies, uh, all the AI stuff. Um, and while there is a slight bar to learn the product, I think, I think your 10 minute demonstration, Thomas, like probably showed me how to use it because be, before the show, I was kind of playing around with EduAid and I'm like, I don't quite get this, you know, but like in 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, you, you stack things. This totally makes sense and you delete and I, I got it. Um, so that's super cool. Um, I, I think, I think this is going to simplify a lot of people's, uh, jobs. Um, and so, you know, thanks a lot for, for coming on the show. Um, is Thanks there anything, last things you want to say? Well, actually, could I ask you a few questions? Yeah, I'm sure. kind of curious. Um, because Mint I mean, chocolate chip is my favorite ice cream. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been, um, you've been, you know, hosting the podcast, having conversations, doing a lot of thinking in this space. Uh, what do you see as maybe some of the, um, we'll start with the positives. Uh, what do you see some of the positive trends of AI use? in education like what makes you feel um encouraged you're like wow this might have some solid outcomes after all for, for me it's uh i think it's uh the efficiency and and time um being able to create things more rapidly um think in different ways have have students do like do things they couldn't do before um also uh for my job having students use ai is that kind of dramatically altered my classroom? And I think in a, in a really cool way, mm -hmm. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would say for me, it's uh, personal personalization, uh, you know, that, that every teacher has encountered scenarios where, you know, we get a boatload of students. Um, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're elementary, you might get 25, 30, whatever, but uh, you know, at any given semester, I could have 120 to 140 different students, you know, and, and that's, so I'm having over, over 200 students in a school year. Uh, how do I service all of them? It's, it's, it's next to impossible. Um, and, and the idea that I can try to provide that AI can, I can leverage AI to better tailor to the needs of the students and their interests. I to me, I think is huge uh, because too often we, we mm -hmm. hear, this is nothing new, but too often we hear about students feeling disinvested or as if like the education isn't really built for them. It's like, but we need, we, for me, I guess the moral imperative to come back to that early idea is um, how do we use the tools that we have before us to, to, to just meet students where they're at? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, I feel like education too long has just been a one-way street. It's been like, well, what the teacher says, it's like, you know what, we have a lot of important things to say. Yeah, but if we're not meeting them where they're at and, and helping them to kind of cultivate and grow uh, and learn on their own terms, uh, I think we're, we're missing the boat uh, quite a bit. And you know, the one thing I ask my students every year is I say, well, you know, who's your best teacher? And students will stop and think about it. And they might come up with a person. I said, that's great. I said, but what I'd like for you to say is your best teacher is yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're the only person you're going to have your whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and I'm just a guide here along the way. Right? I'm just one person. 
And, and if I can show you something great, but you got to be able to teach yourself and you got to be able to kind of learn for yourself. And AI allows for you to do that in ways that we can't even fathom. Hmm. And so that's where I'm at with that is the personalization. Wow, that's great. Um, cool. Over under, um, will AI shape education or will the present education system shape the way we use AI in the classroom? What do you think <laughs> is going to do the shape? Of, and do you think we'll see the true uh, effects or do you think that might be diminished for a few years, short term? I'll give a really short years. answer. I'll, short, I, I'll give a short answer and Mike can jump in, okay? Because he, he's probably going to do the wrap up. Uh, I would say that I think I that did the well, okay, kind of. I have to, I have to leave said, right now. Then you said, well, what questions do you have? Are you open the whole thing? And now uh, it's three hours later and we're still here. To what, to um, what extent? <laughs> right. I know. I know where you're going with it. Um, he's doing a callback to previous episode on me. Um, <laughs> uh, Stuart, now what was, what was I going to say? I was going to say. Uh, oh, Probably something I was gonna really say, interesting. I'm going to keep it short. AI a is going to demand that we change. It's going to force us to change. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Your turn. Yeah, I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to blow stuff. I, I think it's blowing stuff up already. I mean, yeah. like it, it's just, I mean, they're, they're, I, I think if you're like K through five, I think, you know, I just taught a class how to use AI in the classroom, which I didn't have edu I didn't know about it until like a week ago. Um, so didn't include it. Sorry. Um, no next time. Uh, but I'll tell people about it, but K through five, they're kind of like, yeah, I, I can use this on my end, but I don't see my students really quite using it. Maybe I could use it for this or that. Cause, cause, cause where the kids are just learning, you know, math and, you know, based with facts and writing and all that, like, mm -hmm. where are you going to use it? I think six through 12, I think it's going to be pretty dramatic. And, you know, Pat and I teach English and, and writing and, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, sooner than later, writing is going to be garage band. You know, where you're just going to like go doot, 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 and it's going to produce something and then you're going to kind of remix it and that's going to be the thing, you know, at, at some level. Or it'll be like, it'll be like music production where you just kind of move stuff around. Yeah. Um, which, which you guys are kind of doing with Eduate. You just mm -hmm. delete stuff and add stuff and, you know, remix it. It's like that whole yeah. remix idea, like the hip hop kind of ethos. Um, so I, I think it's going to, it's going to shape a lot of things. And I, and I also suspect that it's going to actually ask educators to to really be like well what are you teaching exactly yeah um, exactly because the longer i teach the more i'm like i don't teach english i teach how to think mm -hmm. and, and i mean and that's, why to think that's really it like mm -hmm. strip away all the technology and ask what it is we're trying to accomplish and how can technology yeah. amplify us in such a way as we mm -hmm. can meet that yeah. i mean english is going to yeah. be the killer and sometimes app. sometimes a pencil is a great piece of technology you yeah. know in, in all honesty but i really yeah. teachers so are worried about how say AI will affect student writing, but like if you can generate say 11 essays and be like, these are D's, how do you make them better? Like, and then use the mm -hmm. resources and now you can investigate or, you know, prompt the AI to do something and then find evidence in its response that it actually did that effectively. Like you can engage students in using AI in a lot of interesting ways. It'll be really cool. Sorry, I'm making this thing go super long, but this is a fascinating no, this conversation. Is, we're fine. We're good with it. I think we're just trying to respect your time more than anything else. Oh, I, so, I, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, we I'm are on gonna, summer I'm, break. I'm still. not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to rewrap again. But um, <laughs> but still, man, I, I think EduAge is really cool. Um, I think it's going to yeah. be help, helping a lot of people, and I, I think for sure that some tutorials. You know, yeah, um, yeah, that'll help. But it's a great fourth website. Kind of forthcoming. I mean, it'll be yeah. a first login if you're a first time user. It'll be kind of we were inspired <laughs> by uh, Microsoft's uh, Clippy, right? Um, <laughs> We hated that you We hated that you couldn't make it disappear when you wanted it to. Um, so mm -hmm. we, we're not going to make you do the tutorial every time if you don't feel like you need to. But first time login, uh, we'll register that it's like you know, hey, it's your first time using Eduade, and then yeah. kind of do a little tutorial where we'll highlight a specific thing you can do and explain how to, you know, reinforcing that workflow of first you source it, then you shape it, then you share it. Right? You have right. to go follow that three step process. You know, is it weird honesty, that I kind of, in all honesty, whenever I kind of figure something out, like on my car, I just go to YouTube. I, I think mm -hmm. that would be like a couple of videos. Yep, there's a YouTube. Um, the there user manual is in the works. I'm on the fifth tutorial. I'm going to release the whole package here. Um, within, oh, cool. Uh, very cool. I got a, cool. I got a few things coming up this week. Um, but after, uh, after that, we should, uh, we should have some free time. Yeah, keep keep us in the loop. You know, like uh, with with you know the, the links and stuff. Um, we'll we'll put them in the episode notes as usual. Yeah.
Oh. Yeah, and we'd love we'd love to have you guys back uh, just to kind of see how things are, are humming along and where things at, uh, where the EduAid site is uh, kind of growing and developing. We'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. This is uh, another fun. episode. If you're interested, cool, cool. We've enjoyed it too. I think. So, yeah. So thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having Thank me so much. Absolutely. All right, that's the show. <laughs> Give us some stars. Follow us. Like us. Share us with someone that's AI friendly or interested. Subscribe to the channel. If you want to get hold of us, you can go to rss.com. There's a Google form you can you can submit. You can get hold of us on Twitter, Bot Brothers. We got a Gmail, the Bot Brothers AI Gmail. Mr. Pat runs a Facebook group called the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. And there's a YouTube channel. You can probably comment there too. All right, thanks a lot for listening. Hope you catch us next time. <laughs>